Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's groundbreaking book, In This Together, landed on bookstore shelves with a powerful message. When we work together, we can do absolutely anything. Guidance from 40 women leaders with specific strategies to help women advance their careers makes In This Together even more relevant today, especially with the pandemic's impact on women in the workforce. Take your career to the next level with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's In This Together, now available on audiobook. Download your copy today. Welcome, world, to the Re-Leaders Podcast, Episode 8, with the former chief economist of General Electric, Marco Nunziata. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and on today, I get to pick the brain of Marco Nunziata. But, you know, as I'm listening to this podcast, as I'm taking notes and trying to perfect my craft, I kind of realized, you know, I might not be asking the right questions. I might not be asking your questions. So I need your help. What I need you to do is to go onto this podcast and leave a review. Give me one, two, or three stars. You know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of giving people five stars. I hate when I go to a restaurant on Yelp and it's like a 4.5 star restaurant and the food is just, it's just dog dung. You know, it's, that is one of the worst things we can do in this society, in this world today, is give someone five stars that don't deserve five stars. Give me one, give me two, give me three. Don't give me four or five. I'm not there yet. I realize that. But give me a star review and let me know what questions you have, what questions you think I should be asking, and what questions you want me to bounce off of world leaders and guests we have on this show going forward. Folks, we're also about to start doing some Facebook Live interviews, so stay tuned for those and those announcements on our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter feeds, and go on there while we're doing an interview and jot down a question. Make fun of me. Make fun of my outfit. I don't care. I don't, I, I really, leave a soccer ball emoji. Leave a butterfly emoji. Leave the emoji that no one even knows what it is, but it kind of looks like a horse and maybe a dog, but no, it's... You know, just leave something, you know. We're trying to get better, and the only way we're going to do that is you help us out. So help us help you. Go online because at Releaders Shortcuts, we're trying to make every piece of content an opportunity for people to see a better version of themselves and the world. So please, go online. All I ask you, very simple, leave a review. Not going to read it if it's five stars. I will not read it. I will not answer your question. This podcast, people, it's brought to you by Real Leaders Media. If you're a business manager, a leader, entrepreneur, or a university educator and want to know more about the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs, and what businesses are doing to achieve these goals, go online to our website, real-leaders.com, and pick up your free back issue or free email subscription that highlights quick articles, videos, and podcasts like these. To give you all some context about this podcast, Marco and I were able to speak on August 22, 2018 at the annual G-Summit hosted by Singularity University, where business leaders from all around the world 
attend, to collaborate, and solve the world's biggest problems. Pierre Diamantis, the founder, quotes, the world's biggest problems are the world's biggest business opportunities that we think need the best leaders, and that's why we're highlighting these people today. Marco Nunziata, the former chief at General Electric, he now owns his own consulting practice. Uh, Mark, uh, Nunziata Advisors is what it's called, and uh, the, the Economist and I talk about a few things. We spitball about transparency. We talk about economic policy and how it's changing with new technology, as well as our favorite sport, basketball. So what do they all have in common? Well, Marco is about to tell you. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, the real Marco Annunziata. Welcome to the Real Leaders Podcast. Is, is, what is your definition of a real leader? Ah, uh, yeah, well, is a leader is able to bring people together around, around purpose. We're at the start and end of every business week. Leaders around the world. Marco, the accent. I love it. Are you from... What accent? Are you from... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> are you from Italy? I'm originally from Italy. Who are taking on the most pressing issues. Because you can't throw people in jail for being unethical. Get the chance to inspire your career. The first criteria for me would be to be very open-minded and realize that maybe you're still missing something. Maybe there are ideas out there that sound crazy to you at first, but you should listen to them with an open mind and try to understand if there is something here. These are their stories. These are your real leaders. The successful leader will be somebody who takes a joint view of technology and human capital. All made possible by Real Leaders Incorporated, online, in stores, and around the globe. Hi, I'm Marco Annunziata. And I'm currently an independent consultant, so I'm the co-founder of Annunziata Desai Advisors, which is a consultancy on innovation and business strategy and economics. And previously, I was the chief economist and head of business innovation strategy for General Electric over the past seven years. Marco, the accent. Love it. Are you from... What accent? Are you from... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> are you from Italy? I'm originally from Italy, yes. Okay, because I was going to say, my I work for the women's basketball team at Arizona. I was with equipment awesome. manager, and our assistant coach is from Italy. All um, right. Yeah, I forget. Yeah. I don't know. I think Sicily, is it? I think. Possibly, yeah. But uh, to say a lot, great people, good humor, and I like that type of humor, so we're going to get along just fine. Um, so podcast, just like I was saying, just a conversation. Um, and today I kind of want to <coughs> dive into, excuse me, about why you're here. So what brings Marco, uh, to singularity? So I think it's, uh, the following, I've always been interested in innovation and technology, and especially when I was at General Electric, when I started, I started just as the chief economist, so looking at, uh, how different uh, economic opportunities and investment opportunities were shaping up around the world. 
But then I got more and more involved into the innovation side of things because GE was moving into the digital industrial transformation. And then I spent a lot of time with the engineers and scientists understanding the technologies. Moreover, since I've always been based here in Silicon Valley in San Francisco, I had an office with the GE Ventures team in Menlo Park. So I spent a lot of time working with them, with startups and other technology companies. And I was looking from the perspective of the business, what is happening what is innovation doing to different industries and the business environment? But at the same time, being an economist, I kept thinking, okay, what does it do to jobs, to wages, to incomes? What does it do to the competitiveness of different countries, to international trade, to economic policy? So I've uh, built this expertise on future of work issues, really at the intersection of economic issues, global economics, policy issues, and technology as it impacts mm. the business environment and business strategy. And this is why I'm here. And, well, it's great to talk to you. It's great to have you here. And so when I think of economics, I think of, at least I define it, it's the, kind of this, the study of incentives, if you will. That's what's right. going to make people do something? Or what's going to uh, what, what factors are going to be that's going to ch make change? Uh, so what are you seeing with all this technological innovation going on, with all these new inventions, with all these new ideas, uh, what are you seeing um, that's going to be that incentive to create that change in this future coming uh, forward? So let, let me actually start by making an additional point on something that you were yeah. saying, because you, you said the economics is the science of incentives. It's exactly right. But also, economics is also the science of trade-offs. That is, how do you allocate a limited amount of resources for different purposes of different designs? And I think it's interesting because at Singularity, you hear a lot of discussion about the age of abundance. Peter Demandis pushes this idea very strongly, and I agree. I think we are moving towards an era of abundance in terms of mm -hmm. technology allowing us to unleash more potential, create more resources. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, the desire of human beings for more, more services, more goods, more experiences is insatiable. And so that, I think, is what it keeps economics relevant. Even as we become able to produce more, we will always want even more. Now, on your question, the, what creates mm. the incentives for people to do different things with these technologies? I think there will be, let's say, three different levels of incentives. One will be the traditional economic incentive to make money. Mm. Profits for companies, wages and higher wages for workers, a good career. So the traditional desire to make money mm -hmm. is there. It's, not, it's human nature. It's not going to go away. And that will continue to push different companies to come up with technologies that can have a place in the market, can sell, can generate returns. The second incentive that comes into place is the incentive to try to address some of the big problems of sustainability on the planet. Global warming has made everybody aware of uh, the issue of uh, how do we do more with less? How mm. do we create uh, more uh, goods and services uh, with a smaller impact 
on the planet. But similarly, you have the issue that the issue of pollution in a number of countries like China and India. Uh, pollution is a very interesting experiment because when you started the discussion on uh, global warming, uh, the initial reaction of emerging markets was to say, well, advanced economies should take care of it because uh, you guys polluted in the past uh, and now we need to grow its our turn. But then you see China being so aware of the pollution issue that they're actually ahead of many advanced economies in terms of pushing renewable energy policies. And similarly, the sustainability issue plays also if you think that uh, we need to bring, uh, well, ideally we would like to bring uh, billions of people around the world uh, mm -hmm. to the standards of living that we enjoy in the US and in Europe, uh, and we can't do it with the available technologies because there just isn't enough material, enough stuff to do that. So addressing the sustainability issues is the second incentive. And the third incentive is uh, how to... Uh, reduce inequality and create more opportunity for people. Right. And from a business perspective, this might sound almost like a soft target, but I think more and more companies are realizing that uh, if you don't address that issue, you're going to have major political and geopolitical problems that will hurt businesses as well. Definitely. And, and I, I, when I was looking you up, I had seen that you'd written the book, and it was about the financial crisis. Um, and a big emphasis on that was um, the, was, basically, I, I guess what I took from it from that short little snippet, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, was the leadership, uh, the people in the positions making the decisions were unethical and hence, you know, disrupted a ton of people's lives because of the decisions made at that leadership level. Um, we talked to leaders, real leaders, all around the world. Uh, how does leadership need to change in the future to avoid these problems? Let me integrate that perspective because clearly there were failures of leadership leading up to the financial crisis. I think that is obvious. But to me, a more important basic problem in the lead up to the financial crisis was that the failure was not just on the part of leaders. It was on the part of everybody. <laughs> so right. at, eventually, I came back to this point. It came back to my mind a week or two ago. So I summarized it in a blog recently because at the time of the financial crisis, a lot of people were saying uh, this shows that capitalism has failed because uh, it's brought us to the crisis by creating the wrong incentives. My view was, if anything, we have seen the failure, or at least the limitation of democracy. Because think about the example of the United States, right? The, the financial crisis ultimately was triggered by a housing bubble. In the two or three years before the financial crisis, newspapers in the US were talking about ninja mortgages. Financial institutions are giving mortgages to people who Get have out. no income, it's no okay. jobs, and no assets. Yeah. You know, the price will go up, you'll be OK. Yeah. It was irresponsible. Why didn't politicians do anything? Because voters would have voted them out. Yes. Because all of us liked it, and all of us wanted it to continue. So the population itself was not ready for a discussion on tough decisions. So I think and the second point I would make is uh, I <clears throat> don't think that the focus on uh, ethics is the most efficient way to avoid the crisis and disaster. So ethics and ethical behavior is extremely important. We should encourage it as much as possible. But we can't count 
on it because mm. you can't throw people in jail for being unethical. So I think if you want to change people's behavior, you have to first decide what is legal, what is not legal, and you make that clear. So okay. if you commit fraud, you go to jail. If you try to uh, persuade somebody to get a mortgage they shouldn't be getting, but you're not breaking the law, mm -hmm. then uh, you need to stop that either by changing the laws or changing the regulations or changing the incentives. I think the, uh, I'm saying this because I think we need to be realistic and realize that the world is not going to get better because we all get become more ethical. It is not. Right. Maybe it will. Maybe I'm wrong. I'll be pleasantly surprised. But I wouldn't count on it. <laughs> Final point, just to, uh, yeah. to bring home the, the answer to your question, is uh, I think to, to improve the situation to go forward, uh, we need uh, both an improvement on the part of the behavior of leaders. This is what you were suggesting. You know, that I agree with you. There is, uh, leaders have to realize that uh, if they don't take into account uh, the bigger implications of what they do, then they suffer the consequences. And I think the, the smart leaders in industry and in finance are beginning to understand that, mm -hmm. and that will change their behavior. But at the same time, we also need to change the attitude of all of us, so that all of us realize that we have not just rights, but also responsibilities, and in particular, a responsibility to try to understand what is happening around us mm -hmm. and how we can get to the right solutions. It's interesting that you said that. And what I think was most, most interesting about that answer was you can't throw people in jail for being unethical. Why do you say that? You can't unless they have broken the law. Just it's because it's human nature? Is that kind of like what you're you getting a, No. Be, what I'm getting at is that we have a legal system, right? So right. we decide what is inside the borders of the law and okay what is outside. outside. Right. And that is uh, the, uh, it's necessary in every society, right? Because uh, there is, human nature has both uh, very nice good sides mm -hmm. and darker sides. And they express themselves along a continuum. Mm -hmm. So you need to decide uh, for the correct functioning of society, where do you draw the line that says, no, this is illegal. So if you cross this line, you will go on trial, you will be fined, or you will go to jail. Okay. But you can't, and you, and you have to decide which unethical behaviors you believe should be illegal. Okay. Right? So for example, advertising, if I advertise to your product and I try to persuade you that mm -hmm. uh, you know, this is a great product and you would, you'd be so much happier if you bought right. this product, uh, I will probably not be breaking the law. But I am possibly being unethical if I'm trying to give you something that you actually don't need and maybe you don't even right. have the money for okay. it. Okay, right. Well, that makes sense. And and I'm just going to add on to that point about uh, people being in that leadership position and what kind of needs to change and what doesn't need to change. And so I had this radical idea and I want you to hear it and I want you to kind of, you know, see, see what kind of what it's about. So my idea was, okay, so we have all these businesses and the human nature is to kind of hoard their secrets, their strategies. But with today's day and age, everyone's documenting things. Mm -hmm. You see these YouTube stars. You see um, these reality TV shows. You see um, more 
Google, you see Google Glass, you see augmented reality, people document everything they do. Um, and you also see uh, unethical things like people not being transparent, mm-hmm. everything from business to politicians. So I thought, okay, well, what if, what if transparency um, would be the solution? What, how would that change business? Uh, what if every single business was, instead of hoarding their ideas and secrets and um, what's kind of going on behind the scenes, uh, sharing it and having that ethical duty to let the public know, which they already do in a lot of cases, what they're doing, but making it the actual uh, pinpoint that, hey, we need to, as an economy and as growth, and I think of game theory, I think of the prisoner's dilemma, working together for a better world. Is transparency um, something that might be able to change that? It can help. I think more transparency will help. But again, it's a, it's an area where you have to decide where to draw the lines. Okay. Any, any right. more explicit, any more I think. So as you were talking about the need for companies to be more transparent, I was thinking, mm-hmm. okay, so if you are a company which is quoted on the stock market, for example, you do have transparency requirements of different right. kinds. So you have audited financial accounts that you have to publish at a certain time. And also you have to be open to scrutiny and to assessment by various government right. agencies depending what field of activity you are in. So that's one extreme where transparency is necessary and it's already being enforced. Mm -hmm. At the other extreme, you have the trade secrets, right? It's the reason why if you walk into the Apple factory, for example, into the Tesla factory, they will not be happy to let you walk in and walk around with your camera or with your phone taking pictures because their trade secrets are the essence of what makes them successful. Yes. And you need to preserve that because, unfortunately, in uh, in large societies, competition is what drives the improvement in living standards. Right? In, in small in small societies, like if you have a, a family or a basketball team, you can count on the idea of we're all in it together. We're trying to help each other. Mm-hmm. In a larger context, a certain amount of competition, yes, we're all in it together, but I also want to get more for myself right. becomes a very important driver. And, and I, I still think, because now I'm going to bring that basketball example back. Uh, so what we did is we would go out and we'd record our games mm-hmm. and we'd share it on a, over the cloud with our competitors, mm-hmm. and they would do the same. So it basically just took away... Um, people having to fly out mm-hmm. to each game and record the game mm-hmm. secretly without people knowing, and hey, everyone's doing it. Let's just make this transparent. Let's throw everything to the cloud. So I don't know if, yes, you're right. Absolutely, competition is definitely key in that situation. However, do you think that would take away competition if everyone was transparent in sharing their ideas, um, being more competitive in that aspect? Because, I, uh, I mean, what if more ideas are coming, more ideas are coming, and then eventually everyone gets the same technology? It depends on how far you want to take it. So stay right. on the basketball example. I grew up playing basketball, so I there enjoy this part of the conversation a lot. But, uh, are you a Gallinari fan? <laughs> there you go. Nice. Suppo- <laughs> suppose, suppose that uh, instead of just uh, putting on the, in the cloud uh, your recordings of the games your team has played, uh, 
the government comes in and says, you know what, any, any time that any two people in your team meet, especially when you have team meetings, etc., you all have to have microphones, and every single thing you say has to be recorded and has to go on the cloud. Every other team has to have access to your thought process, your conversations. Would you like that? Absolutely not, and as a company, I would not want to work for it. <laughs> However, would it work? No, I think it would not work because the, or rather, I think it would have uh, unintended consequences because mm. uh, I start from the assumption that uh, people, all of us, have a mixture of uh, cooperation and competition. Mm -hmm. So, see, I look around, uh, as a U.S. citizen, I want the entire country to do well, but I also, as a San Francisco resident, I also want uh, the city to get better, and I also am even more vested in uh, how well I do. Mm -hmm. So a certain amount of competition is always there. If you start telling people, look, we are going to uh, essentially force you to share all of your ideas, right. they will try to figure out, okay, then how do I go around this to get a competitive edge? edge. Right? Okay. okay. And maybe what you will get is... Uh, unethical behavior of different kinds. Maybe you will see that companies will go and try to hire the best people, or basketball teams will try to hire the best players, and maybe because they can't afford to do it just by offering more money, they will start offering oh, right. benefits of things which are unethical. So that, that is the part that... Uh, Makes sense. Worry me. The other part, though, is also the... Uh, you have to ask yourself whether you think... Uh, Absolute transparency is uh, ethical. So if you as a basketball coach have the, if you are the first one to have the idea that, hey, maybe we should change our game by having, uh, relying more on three-point shooting and shooting, teaching our people right. to shoot further back, is it... Uh, isn't it ethical for you and your team to reap the benefits of this uh, new Idea. thought you've come yes. up with? Right? Yes, and then people is. will see it, and then it will get copied. Definitely. And but initially, I would actually argue that uh, it is more ethical to allow people in sports and in mm -hmm. business to take advantage, not to take advantage, but to reap the benefits of some of their own innovation. Mm -hmm. And I, Thank you for answering my radical <laughs> idea. I think yeah, it really helps but, me out. And, and, and to your point, yeah. the, I'm not saying that uh, we have enough transparency today. I think your point and your idea is very interesting in the sense that we should have uh, a better discussion, a better analysis, and saying, should we have more transparency? Mm -hmm. How much more? What should be made more transparent? Mm -hmm. We probably don't have enough. So. I mean, I just thought, hey, what's, what's wrong with being honest about what you're doing? And, you know, it could really stop something like, you know, we see stuff with Donald Trump and the, the, the conversation being recorded or whatever it is. I don't want to get into politics at all. Uh, and then you see the stuff with Enron and mm -hmm. it's just, hey, what's wrong with being honest? And I just think the people need to know that. But uh, anyways, back to we're going to go back to the arena of singularity, kind of what you're doing here. Um, how do you think economic policy will change um, with all this augmented mixed reality and innovation um, in the next 50 years? Do you think it will change? Is it always just this standard ground and just ethics and 
No, I think economic policy will it will change. It uh, how it will change depends on how you think the uh, economy itself and industry changes. So mm -hmm. my my starting assumption is. Uh, what we will see over the next 10, 20, 30 years is greater advances in these technologies that we've discussed here at Singularity University, but more importantly also you will see a lot of these technologies spreading faster throughout industry. Because so far, and this is, a, I will give you just a, a 10 seconds aside as an economist, productivity growth hasn't increased at all, hasn't accelerated. So. There's a debate in economics where people say, well, you go to Singularity University summits and they talk about abundance and everybody's very excited about innovation and then you look at the economic statistics and you see that the efficiency inside the economy of the industrial system isn't actually improving faster than it did before. Mm. If anything, it's improving at a slower pace. So what's going on? Yeah. And I think what is going on... Tell me. <laughs> there are different theories and there are some... Uh, you know that economics is called the dismal science. So people, the economists tend to be very dire, very dour. And in fact, earlier you were talking about ethics, and I told you I don't count on that because you know yeah. there is a dark yeah. side to everybody. People, people are scoundrels. Don't yeah. count on people being ethical. But similarly, some economists will tell you, well, you know, it's, it's innovation is not helping because the innovation we have today is meaningless. Once we discover the the train, the steam engine, airplanes, electricity, those were big things. And now the innovation of today, you know, it's augmented reality, yeah, people pay, can play Pokemon on the street. It doesn't really help anybody. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's wrong, because I think that underestimates the potential for all these technologies to reshape the way we work. Mm -hmm. the, the other theory is that you have people like uh, my friend Halverian, the chief economist at Google, who says we are not measuring it correctly. So there are a lot of, there's a lot of value that we get from podcasts, from web searches, from Google Maps. And uh, we are not measuring the value because a lot of this stuff we get essentially for free. Or you could argue we're giving companies data right. or data in exchange for that, but there is no monetary exchange. And if there is no monetary exchange, then it doesn't, the thing doesn't get recorded in GDP, in the economic statistics, and if you're not measuring what mm. you're producing, then it doesn't look like there's no productivity. But I think more importantly, my, my, and I think there is a, that is true to some extent, but I think the other element which I've noticed going around to different companies is that uh, it's very difficult to implement new technologies in a company, especially on a large scale. Mm -hmm. So a new technique comes out, and it can be 3D printers or it can be a new way of doing industrial design. A company first has to understand, uh, can I use it or not? How does it work? Then you bring it in at, at a small scale. Then you bring in across the organization. Then you try to understand that now that I have this different technology, how do I change my production process and my operations mm -hmm. to really take advantage of this new technology? So it takes time. So I think part of the reason is it will take time. Mm -hmm. But this is to say that uh, I think uh, the, it will take longer than we would like for some of these innovations to transform industries completely, especially in uh, areas like manufacturing. But then you will be in a, in a situation where uh, most of the jobs that we have will be a combination of uh, older skills and new skills. So you will have okay. uh, 
people, factory workers who use uh, still some of their traditional will productivity skills, increase at that point? Productivity will increase at that okay. point. Productivity will increase. But also, I think, once these innovations start kicking in, because there are so many innovations, so many technologies that are being developed, then the, the speed at which industries get disrupted, new companies come up, old companies fail and close, the speed at which or the frequency with which workers need to acquire new skills or change jobs will be higher than it is today. And this goes to your question on uh, the policy framework. I think the first issue is uh, we have policies today which are still designed for worlds where uh, companies come up and then they stay around for a long time and people do the same job for 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. And I think policies will need to change uh, to be more useful for a world where you as a worker have to upgrade your skills more frequently and potentially change jobs more frequently. And okay. In my view of the future, these will be better jobs than we have today with more productivity, better technology. So our life will be better, but it will be more challenging. It's a little bit like, again, going back to the basketball example. You can play basketball always in the same way with... Uh, the same shoes and uh, <coughs> the same Schemes. technology, the right. same teams, and doing the thing, doing things in always the same way, and it will still be fun because basketball is the most fun. But it will not be as fun as improving your game, ramping it up, right. developing get new to techniques to get to the next level. But getting mm -hmm. to the next level is tougher. Definitely, and and back to what you're saying. So, productivity, productivity. Excuse me is not increasing. Um, that blew my mind. Didn't really think about that. And then also, uh, I guess what I'm hearing this whole singularity conference is exponential, mm -hmm. exponential growth. Moore's law. Everything is increasing, increasing, increasing. And it's almost like a narrative that they're pushing that this is what is going to happen. But no, not that many people are good at predicting the future. Yeah. Is, is, is there something that could stop this from, from not growing at that exponential rate? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So some some of it is right? and some of it is uh, policy mistakes. Mm -hmm. So let me give you some examples of uh, because it, it looks to me like uh, these exponential technologies, these uh, great advances that we keep making, are being driven certainly by the fact that uh, we have a bunch of very smart people, very excited, very enthusiastic, and very motivated. But also, you if you start asking yourself uh, why, where is it happening, and why. And my personal view is it's happening, because we know that it's happening more in some places than in others. So Silicon Valley is here. There's a great lifestyle in Italy. I love it. But there's no Silicon Valley in Italy. Right. And the same is true for a bunch of other countries around the world. So if I then ask myself, uh, why is innovation happening faster in some places than others, my answer is that it's a combination of openness and incentives. Openness meaning that uh, if you look at uh, the diversity of talent that comes uh, into a place like Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. it's driven by the fact that the US traditionally has had a very open immigration policy and a school system that has attracted the best talent from all over the world. And that's the openness part. Then the incentives are you have a system where it's very easy to set up a company to compete, and if you are successful, you can be enormously successful and become enormously rich or 
have an enormous impact on the world if that is uh, your your preferred metric, really what your motivation and what drives you. So if, uh, since I believe this, I believe that this is what is driving innovation, then to me the fear and the risk is that something blocks these two avenues. And we are seeing around the world today, including in the US, uh, a clampdown on immigration. Mm. The idea that you know, the current government, for example, one of the things that it's done, the current government has done some things which, in my view, are very positive, like cutting back some regulations, cutting back some taxes, because it strengthens the incentive and the flexibility for firms. But then on the other hand, it's doing things like clamping down on immigration, which means you don't bring in as much talent mm. as we did before. And also all this escalation of trade conflict where you impose tariffs, you create protectionism, and what you're doing is with protectionism, you are changing the incentives because if I'm a company, if I'm a car company, for example, and uh, you put on tariffs against imports uh, and you protect me, I have less of an incentive to build better cars because right. I have right. Less, right. less competition. Interesting. And you're also making it more difficult for the flow of information and ideas uh, to go across oh, okay. countries. So these are policies, policy mistakes, for example, and you know, protectionism is not just in the US, pretty much every other mm. country around the world is moving in that direction. There is a trend towards more nationalism. Yeah. And these are things that to me are very dangerous to innovation. It would, they would definitely tend to slow down innovation. The final thing, definitely. and I'll just try to make it last point quick, but if we don't, so, what, what happens with innovation? You want competition. It goes back to the discussion on transparency we had before. To create the right incentives, uh, you want uh, people who are very successful to be rewarded. But at the same time, uh, you want to create some sense of solidarity within society. You don't want to allow inequality to become too extreme. If you do that, if you let it go to extreme, then you will have a policy backlash that says, then no, then let's go right. back to a situation where if you are successful, I don't care. We'll take away 80% of your profits because we need to redistribute. Interesting. So and, and I want to circle this back around uh, to kind of what we were talking about earlier about leadership. We've talked about honesty, integrity, transparency, uh, bringing in inclusiveness, diversity, um, for more production and uh, all these different type of qualities that a leader might possess. Um, from all your experiences, what would you say a, the best leader, what, what would you say the traits would be for a perfect leader? The, fir the first one would be a degree of humility and realizing that uh, there is no, thing, no such thing as perfection. Right. <laughs> Let's not hope for the perfect leader. But I think it, it would be... Um, the first one would be somebody who is very open-minded because uh, when you, especially when you become a leader, you become a leader through success. Mm. You've been doing things in a certain way and by definition you're, you've seen ways of working that are successful and you believe you are very good. So the first... Criteria for me would be to be very open-minded and realize that maybe you're still missing something. Maybe there are ideas out there that uh, 
sound crazy to you at first, but you should listen to them with an open mind and trying to understand if there is something here that can work better. The second, the second trait uh, should be to uh, be able to create the right balance of uh, incentives and solidarity within your company. It's a problem we have at the national level, at the community mm -hmm. level, but how do you create a system where you reward the best performers people, best performing people in your company, but at the same time, uh, you get everybody to feel like uh, they are treated well and they are part of the mission, part of a, part of a common mission. And the third point, I would say, the third characteristic would be to, to have, uh, and this will be, this, con this third point connects to the singularity university innovation discussion. The successful leader will be somebody who takes uh, a joint view of technology and human capital. Because what happens very often, and this was reflected in a lot of the conversations today on the future of work, is business leaders tend to look at the technology. They focus on the technology. How can I get better technology to do what I do today? When the technology materializes, they look at the workers and say, OK, what do we do with the workers now? And I think that successful leader of the future instead will recognize that human beings uh, have enormous potential, which will right. never be replicated by robots or artificial intelligence. And to succeed, you have to look at the two together and say, okay, how do I get okay. the best through, through best use of both talent and technology? Interesting. Well, Marco, we appreciate your time. I think you're an open-minded leader. You know, everything that you're telling me, it's not like you're getting this possessive look in your face, like, oh, this is the right thing. This is just what you, you've learned. This is what you've experienced. This is what you're seeing in the world today. And these are just facts. So um, I really appreciate your open-mindedness, um, your availability to talk with me, a 23-year-old who knows nothing about the world and business right now today. So I appreciate your time. It was a great pleasure. Really great conversation. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Great conversation. Thanks for having me. Thanks for, Thanks for Thanks. being here. Appreciate it. Yeah, it was fun. This is a, it's a very fun conversation. That wraps it up for Episode 8 with economist Marco Annunziata. What an interesting story about a man who has seen it all and studies the incentives of you and me, society. What I found most interesting was that we can't punish people for being unethical and that businesses will always find a way, always find a way to gain a competitive advantage. For next time on the Real Leaders Podcast, Episode 9, I chat with 28-year-old Federico Rivas, who, let me just read off his resume really quick, BA in Government Foreign Affairs, Georgetown University, MA in Management, Harvard University, Member of Elections Committee, Advisory Council, Global Shapers Community, Chairman and Co-Founder of Estadio Ventures, Co-Founder Centor, Chief Executive Officer, International Media Group, Vice President, Latin Media Planning, Executive Director, Ballon Films, Leader, Lean and Leader at Sheryl Sandberg and Dave Goldberg Foundation, Founding Leadership Member of Singularity U, San Salvador Chapter, Chair, Global Dignity, oh, they're just all mixing up right now, El Salvador, Advisory Board Member, I don't speak Spanish, Proyecto, Payas, Fuzal, Honorary Member of Fusades, Recipient of Heroes El Salvador 2016 Award. I, it just goes on and on, folks. Just kind of makes you wonder what you're doing with your own life. But I'll tell you what it makes me do is it just makes me want to work harder. It makes me want to keep grinding. It makes me want to make every piece of content a better opportunity for people to see a better version of themselves and the world. More inspiring stories, more real leaders next on episode nine. 
I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and thank you for tuning in.